We're going to read now from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we're going to read the whole chapter. 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, starting at verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Good morning, everybody. It's my, um, it's my first attempt to just lower this for a vertically challenged preacher. Uh, it's my privilege to open uh, this part of Scripture with you, particularly just the last verse of 1 Corinthians 13, a famous and beautiful verse. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. You know, in ancient rhetoric, which is the art of public speech, the great orators knew about what are called triads, or sometimes the rule of three. It's amazing how many things in public speech just sound right when they come in threes. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. <laughs> Two Sounds weird, and four is too many. Three works. What's the, uh, what's the rule of real estate? Location, location, location. Julius Caesar. I came, I saw, I conquered. The great catch cry of the French Revolution. Liberty, equality, fraternity. Definition of democracy. Rule of the people, by the people, for the people. It goes on and on and on. Actually, there is a supreme, there is an ultimate triad, is there not? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Triads just work. Which just might be why there are so many three-point sermons. And this is another one today. Turns out, Paul, the Apostle Paul, had a favorite triad. And it's this one we have here in 1 Corinthians 13.13. 13, faith, 
hope and love. In fact, eight times through Paul's writing, he comes back one way or another to that triad. And three times other writers in the New Testament use this triad. And it's brilliant because it actually takes us to the very heart of Christianity. If, if you are here this morning, you're not a Christian, these three words give you perhaps the most succinct and sharp summary of what Christians believe and what the Christian faith is all about. And I, I hope this morning you find this just a, a very clear and helpful understanding of what the gospel is. And if you are here as a, as a Christian, as a believer in the Lord Jesus, as so many of us are, these three words remind us of what the Christian faith is all about. You'll never find a sharper summary of what we actually believe. And I think it's so important that we're reminded sometimes of the absolute basics of Christianity because it's all too easy for us to forget them. It's all too easy for us to start making Christianity about other things. And that was exactly what was going on in the church of Corinth. They were beginning to make it about prophecy, tongues, and knowledge. That was their triad. And there's great um, discussion in, in chapters 12, 13, and 14 around tongues and prophecy and spiritual knowledge. In other words, we can easily start to make the heart of Christianity our spiritual performance, how well we are doing, the gifts that we have, how committed you are, how spiritual you are, how gifted you are. But, you know, the heart of Christianity is never your performance. It's never how well you're doing or how spiritual you are. There was something else going on in uh, Corinth, and that is they were also starting to make it about people. Uh, right at, at the start of Corinthians, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas. <laughs> there's another triad. They're just everywhere today, I'm sorry. And, you know, there's a risk that we do that too, that we start to make Christianity about our heroes, our favorite theologians, our favorite pastors. I follow Calvin, I follow Piper. I still follow Clinton Behrens. Like, we, you know, we just, we can so easily make it about people. But the heart of Christianity is never about people, no matter how gifted or helpful or great they are. We find the very essence of Christianity in these three words, and we're going to take them one by one. First of all, faith is right at the very heart of true Christianity. The great distinctive of the gospel is that we are saved by faith. Not by our works, not by obedience, not by our effort, our spiritual performance, not by how nice you are, how good you are, how committed you are. None of those things are the basis of our salvation. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Theologians uh, often say that there are, I'm sorry about this, three components to true faith. Here's another triad. True faith consists of knowledge, assent, and trust. Knowledge, you've got to, to, to really believe, you've got to know it, you've got to agree with it, and you've got to trust it. Uh, let me put it this way. So, suppose someone gives me a, a beautiful chair as a gift. Now, no one has ever done that, but I said suppose. 
uh, they, they give me this magnificent old chair, and they tell me all about it. It's, it's an antique chair. It's made in Italy. It's made of the finest leather. It's the, the workmanship of a skilled 18th century craftsman. And they, they describe this chair and its, its incredible history and its great value. So at that point, I know something about it. But do I believe it? Like, do, I, do I actually think that they've just told me the truth? It could be a scam. It could be a, it could be a cheap copy. They probably bought it in Kmart. And it just looks old because it was poorly made. If I'm going to receive that gift, I have to, yeah, I have to know about it, but I also have to actually believe that what they've said about it is, is true. I have to assent to that. And then, on that basis, there's one more thing I have to do, isn't it? I have to accept that gift. I have to take it home. If I really believe what they've said and I really, really value it, then I'll take it home and I'll, I'll treasure it. I'll enjoy it. I'll be proud of it. Actually, I'll sit in it and rest in it and enjoy it. And, you know, that's exactly what true faith in Jesus is like. We have to know stuff. There's no virtue in ignorance. We ought to read and think and search the scriptures and listen to good sermons and read theology. The, the more we know Jesus, the more we know about him, the more we know truth, the more we will be able to have strong faith in Jesus Christ. We have to know stuff, but it's not ju enough just to have head knowledge of Jesus, is it? We have to assent to that. We have to say, yes, actually, and I absolutely believe that. And, you know, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's work in our hearts is to convict us, to persuade us that what we're reading in Scripture is absolutely true. And then, because we know it and we assent to it, we trust in Jesus. It's like taking him home and resting in him and valuing him and treasuring him. That's true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's actually what makes Christianity absolutely unique. We're, we're saved just because of that, because we know Jesus and we believe Jesus and we have trusted what he's done. We trust that he dealt with our sin. We trust that he reconciles us to God. We trust that he's our saviour and our Lord. It's unique because all the world's religions, all the world's other religions, make it about what we do. There's always an emphasis somehow or other on our performance, on good works, on saying your prayers, on going on pilgrimage, on fasting, on giving of alms. Other religions always have an emphasis on our spiritual performance. And actually, it's not just other world religions that have an emphasis on us. Actually, that's the emphasis of our secular Western culture. Our culture teaches that it's really up to you. It's up to you to be yourself, to find yourself, ultimately to believe in yourself. Our secular culture is a religion of faith. 
and it's faith in you. You have to believe in yourself. Trust yourself. Back yourself. Love yourself. Find yourself. Find your true identity. That's the most important thing to believe in. You. Uh, Taylor Swift, the pop singer, was awarded earlier this year an honorary doctorate. Now, I'm not going to comment on the merit of Taylor Swift receiving a doctorate, but uh, New York University awarded her a doctorate. She made a speech at that ceremony. She uh, spoke to all the other graduates of, of NYU. And toward the end of her actually very engaging speech, Dr. Swift uh, said to those who were graduating, this is what she said, now you leave the structure and framework of school and chart your own path. Every choice you make leads to the next choice, which leads to the next. And I know it's hard to know sometimes which path to take. And so she talks about some of the different paths people might take. And then she says, how will you know what the right choice is in these crucial moments? You won't. Scary news is, you're on your own now. Cool news is, you're on your own now. I think Dr. Swift sums up superbly the belief of our current culture. Believe in yourself. You're on your own. Make your own choices. You won't know whether they're right or wrong, but back yourself. That's scary. That's cool. You're on your own. And you know, Christianity comes along and it says the absolute opposite of that. It says you're not on your own. There is a God. And it's not up to you. And the answers are not found by looking inside yourself and believing in yourself and backing yourself. C.S. Lewis, the great uh, writer and Oxford professor of English, spoke about what he found in himself the first time he seriously examined in his own heart. Listen to what he said. For the first time I examined myself with a seriously practical purpose, and there I found what appalled me. A zoo of lusts, a bedlam of ambitions, a nursery of fears, a harem of fondled hatreds. My name was Legion. Now, it can be a pretty hairy and scary thing to look seriously inside yourself. Do you really want to believe that the answers for this world are inside you? We're, we're wired. We're hardwired as human beings to believe in something. We are actually innately people of faith. But the Bible points out that faith in yourself will never give you great hope. And actually, the message of Christianity is that there's, there's no real future in, in having faith in all sorts of things that this world puts in front of us. Faith in the political system. Faith in the education system. Faith in the health system. These, these systems 
human initiatives can help us sometimes, some people, some of the time. But the human condition requires far more than what we can come up with and what our systems can come up with. Only Jesus Christ can deal with the deepest needs of our soul. Only he can deal with those sins and lusts and anxieties and messiness that we'll find inside of us. Only Jesus can reconcile us to God. Only Jesus can give us the promise of eternal life. And the Bible says those things are all ours just by trusting in Jesus. Believe in him, it says. And no matter what's in your heart and what's going on in your life, you will be saved. It's a distinct and a beautiful message, isn't it? Faith in Jesus. Not in you. Not in the things around us. Well, that actually leads to the next thing in this great triad. Faith actually leads to hope. And hope is also right at the very heart of Christianity. I think the second one of the triad is, is an interesting one. Faith had to make the cut, didn't it? We're saved by faith. We know that's at the heart of the gospel. And coming up shortly is love. And I totally get, and we'll see in a moment, why love had to make the cut. But what about hope? Would you have put that in there? If you had to choose the three, three words to absolutely nail the very heart of Christianity, would you have put hope in there? I wonder if I might have put in joy, or peace, humility, reformed. You know, <laughs> Would you have put hope in there as the other thing that gets right to the very essence of Christianity? Well, you know, I think it's a brilliant inclusion. Brilliant because hope is both what people so long for and what the gospel so beautifully gives us. Think about that for a moment. People long for hope, and I dare say you long for real hope. I saw a woman on the news recently. She, she was in tears. She was absolutely distraught because she'd lost nearly all her financial wealth in the collapse of a construction firm. And she was distraught. She, she, the situation is now hopeless. And, and if you feel like that, if you feel that your, your financial situation is hopeless, you're just full of anxiety and, and distress and grief. I spoke to a young man recently whose marriage is not going very well. He's finding it so hard. And I had to try and give him reason for hope. You know, some hope that it could get better, that there's a way through this. Otherwise, you just give up and sign out. And you say, it's, it's hopeless. Many people today actually feel hopeless when they look at, at our world. They might look at climate change or war or the political scene. And they feel it's hopeless. And they will look. Often we'll look with a degree of desperation for anyone who will give us hope. It's quite remarkable what political leaders we will go for if there's a sense that this will give us hope of change and hope of a future. We long for hope. 
And without hope, we can actually do shocking things. And then we encounter the message of the Bible, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it is absolutely full of hope. And not a vain hope. This is not just wishful thinking. How many people spend their life hoping that they'll win lottery? But what a thin thread to hang on to. Now, Christian hope is solid hope built on the foundation of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And if the bottom does fall out of your finances and you don't get another job and you are really struggling, it might be incredibly tough and hard, maybe for a long time, but you are not without hope because one day you'll be taken into an eternal kingdom where there will be glorious riches forever. And if you face deep personal failure and you feel overwhelming guilt and shame and other people reject you and judge you, it can be dreadful, but you're not utterly without hope. Because God will never leave you or forsake you. And if people hurt you and deeply fail you and your heart is cut up in pieces, it can feel dreadful, but you are not without hope. Because God will never cease to love you. And he will one day take you out of this world to be with himself forever. And if you stand at a graveside and you face the grief of death, you are not without hope because you know that Jesus has conquered death and there is life beyond the grave. And even as we face a worrying global situation, we're not without hope. God rules all things. There are God-ordained limits to climate change and to war and to famine. And there are God-ordained limits to anti-Christian hostility. And even if this world should come to an end by one of these means, what then? A new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. The worst thing that can happen is in some ways the best. This world comes to an end and a new world is ushered in. And, you know, in all these dark fears that we have, we have ultimate hope because of the story of the cross. There in the darkest hour of human history, hope dawned. Because when Jesus died and then rose again, he defeated sin and he defeated Satan and he defeated the grave and he secured for us eternal hope. You know, that, that means our hope is not actually hope in an immediate fix. And we have to reckon with that. Your finances might never come right in this world. Those family dynamics that cause you so much angst, they might not get better. I'm sorry, they, they might not. 
we may continue to struggle with, with great worries as we watch the news night by night. War may continue. The stock market might continue to plummet and go all over the place. This is not the promise of an immediate fix. Our hope is an eternal hope. That this world is not all there is. Joy and happiness here is not all that we're living for. There is an everlasting hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Paul wrote these words in Romans 15. It's a blessing that we're not so familiar with, perhaps. He says, may the God of hope, isn't that a lovely title for God? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what God wants for us. He wants us to know that he's the God of hope and he wants our hearts to overflow with hope because of the gospel. Well, isn't it good that hope made the cut in this great triad? Faith, hope, and love. Uh, Love also is right at the very heart of Christianity. The Bible declares, of course, God is love. Uh, One of the most famous verses of the Bible, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The two greatest commandments Jesus gave, summarizing the whole of the law of the prophets, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. The great distinctive of true discipleship, Jesus says, by this will all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love one for another. This, Paul says, is the greatest because faith and hope flow out of the love of God. We have faith in Jesus Christ because God in his love gave us his son that we might trust in him. We have hope because God in his love gave us Jesus Christ to conquer sin and death, and we have hope in him. Love is the fountain of the other two. The Bible talks constantly about love, and, of course, so does our culture. Our culture just incessantly talks about love. There are love songs and movies about love and novels about love and stories of love and longings for love. Our hearts long for love. We long to love something and to be loved. But what is true love? Well, if you go back in this chapter to verses 4 to 8, you have a a marvelous description of love. Love is patient and kind. Love, Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. And so he goes on to describe the nature of true love. Notice there, Love is not sentimental or romantic or sexual. That's just a little triad for you. Here's another one. Love doesn't need chocolates and flowers and candles. Nothing wrong with chocolates, flowers and candles. Bring them on. But this kind of love does not need them. Actually, here's something that truly warms my heart and is very helpful for people like myself. For this kind of love, you don't have to be young and pretty. Hallelujah. 
I think the love described here is this. Real love is goodness in action. It's goodness in action. It's not so much something we feel as something we do. It's being patient with that person who drives you crazy. It's not brooding over the way that person hurt you. It's acting kindly toward that person who gossiped about you. It's persevering in that relationship where it would be far easier to give up. That's love. But who of us actually loves like that? You may know this nasty little exercise. I find it a nasty little exercise. You look at verses 4 to 8 and you substitute the word love for your own name and see how it goes. I can't get very far without cracking up, but um, I'll give it a go. Murray is patient and kind. <laughs> Murray does not envy or boast. He's not arrogant or rude. Does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Like, I wished I could, with a straight face, go through and say, that's me. Can you go through with a straight face and say, that's me. Our love falls so far short. And yet, what's so beautiful is you can go through those verses and put Jesus' name there. And it works perfectly. Jesus is patient and kind. He doesn't envy or boast. He's not arrogant or rude. <laughs> Jesus did not insist on his own way, did he? He doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. He bears all things, endures all things. His love never ends. And you know, the plan of the gospel is this, that we come to know that love of Jesus Christ and soak in it. By faith, we're united to Jesus. And when we're united to him, we experience his love. And the more we experience his love, the more loving he makes us. I water my pot plants, and if I water them excessively, then the water fills up the pot, and then it overflows and goes into the saucer, and then it overflows and goes onto the table and overflows and goes onto the floor, I have thoroughly watered the pot plants. And you know, it's actually the same with the love of Jesus Christ. If you saturate yourself in the love of Jesus, it will begin to overflow in your life. And you'll actually find the, the more time you spend with Jesus, the more you get to know him, the more loving you find yourself becoming. You, you actually find you're you're actually a bit more patient than you used to be. You find you're just, just a bit more merciful towards other people. You, you maybe find you're, you're more generous than you really wanted to be. But like, bother, I really didn't want to give away that much. But, but somehow, somehow, knowing Jesus has changed the way you operate. You've been soaked 
in divine love. And it changes you. If you want to know real love, go to Jesus Christ. And if you want to become more loving, go to Jesus Christ. Sit under the fountain of his love until you are saturated with it and it begins to seep out of the pores of your life. Well, there we are, the great triad, faith, hope, and love. Let's just look at how Paul packages this as we close. He says, and now, and I think he means now at the end of the argument, now at the end of this chapter and at the end of this discussion, now here are the three biggies, and the Corinthians are saying, Prophecy, tongues, and knowledge. And Paul says, no, no, now it's faith, hope, and love. They are the three biggies. And he says, these three abide. Now, there's various ways you can take it, and the commentators, uh, you know, waste a bit of ink over that. But I think at the end of the day, what it means is these three are eternal. These three last forever. And I just want to finish with this magnificent thought. One day, our faith in Jesus Christ will become sight. We will see Jesus and we'll see the glory of God face to face. But when our faith becomes sight, we don't stop having faith. We will, we will know it better than ever. We'll assent to it with all our heart more than we ever have before. We will totally trust God. You'll never have a day where your faith is weak or you won't really trust God. There forever you will absolutely, certainly believe in God. And that day when Jesus comes again, our hope will be fully realized. All that we've hoped for, riches and glory and peace and love and joy and unbroken relationships and no sin, all that we hope for now will be fully realized. You will never again feel hopeless about anything. There is a place of hopelessness. There is a place of eternal despair. But that is not the destiny of those who have faith in Jesus Christ. If you believe in Jesus, then one day you will never feel hopeless ever again. And when that happens, you will be engulfed in the love of God. And never again will there be a broken relationship or a harsh word or a cruel action, no more war, no more division between people, no more abuse. Love will fill the new heavens and the new earth when we see the love of God face to face. Is that not the greatest thing of all? I think people are longing for these very things. I dare say you are longing for these. I am longing for these. Something to really believe in. And it's not me. Something that gives real hope. And it's not lottery. And some real experience of love. And it's found in Jesus. What we most long for is what the gospel most beautifully gives us. And I want to say to you from God's word this morning, keep 
on believing in Jesus. Keep on hoping because of Jesus. Keep on loving because you have known the love of God in Jesus. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord God, for this beautiful triad, faith, hope, and love. Thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you we have something to believe in that's rock solid and certain. Thank you that we have everlasting hope no matter how hard life is now. And thank you that we have known true love, love that is changing us into more loving people. Help us to keep on believing, keep on hoping, keep on loving until Jesus comes again. And we pray this in his name and for his sake. Amen.